This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter, Your Life is Too Short and Too Precious to Waste, written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford, available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Hey friends, I have some really good news to share before we get going on the episode. I won a journalism prize, which is just such a flattering thing. It's called the Zenger Prize, and it was given to people from Christianity Today and The Atlantic and also me for truce. It's a real honor. It comes from people who have worked in journalism for a long time, and I'm just super flattered. So thank you so much for supporting the Truce podcast, and I just want you to know people are listening and paying attention, which is just so flattering. So thank you for your support and for your prayers, and here's the show. This episode is part of a long series about the rise of Christian fundamentalism up through the Scopes Monkey Trial. It can stand on its own, but when you're done, go back and start at the beginning of Season 5. Now that I've finished the main gist of the season and am working hard on Season 6, I want to emphasize some important themes. So what follows is not a normal episode. This is takeaway number 3, Don't Miss the Forest for the Trees. There are a handful of books that I read every few years. They're in a cycle of sorts. Find the show on social media and let me know what books you read over and over again. For me, it's Napoleon by Andrew Roberts, The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald, Jurassic Park, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Into Thin Air. But the most important is probably The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. The Great Divorce is one of Lewis's lesser-known books. It's skinny. My copy from 1965 is small enough to fit inside my pocket. It's pretty beat up, and I've underlined whole paragraphs it might just be my favorite book of his. It begins in a fictionalized version of hell. Here it's pictured as a vast city, where it's always night. Buildings are gray and dark, not much life. But a few people are there waiting for the bus to arrive. The main character gets in line behind a sorry-looking bunch of people, most of them complaining about one thing or another. This place isn't intellectual enough. I can't have a decent conversation. Here comes the bus. The driver looks full of himself, if you ask me. Some of them leave. Those who stay board the bus. This is a magical bus of sorts. Instead of driving on streets, it takes off, going up and up and up through the clouds and darkness, eventually reaching a place where the sun shines bright. The bus parks and everyone files out into a lush, gorgeous setting. A sort of entryway to heaven is off in the distance. Here, everything is solid, heavy. Their bodies aren't strong enough to lift up an apple or pick a flower. They can't bend a single blade of grass. The main character realizes that he and the other passengers are opaque, like ghosts. In this brilliant setting, they barely make any shape at all. They explore the best they can. Then, in come these gorgeous, illuminated people like angels, or maybe even friends that the ghosts knew before they died. They're so heavenly, so striking, that it's almost hard to look at them. These are messengers sent to convince the ghosts that they should leave the dark city, the bus, and even this weird in-between place, and walk towards heaven. 
This is where I think the book gets interesting. One by one, Hello! The ghosts are confronted by someone from their past. Do you remember me? And invited to continue their journey on to heaven. And one by one, I don't want to talk to you! The ghosts find a way to break off the conversation and get back on the bus. Because this is a big ask. They can barely bend a single blade of grass. It's going to be difficult to walk a few feet, let alone miles and miles, all the way to heaven. No, thank you very much. I'm quite all right. I want to look at a few of these conversations. I've dramatized the concept a bit. I'd hoped to read this book for you, but it's not quite in the public domain yet, and the Lewis people never got back to me. So what follows is not from the book, but an adaptation of concepts. In one chapter, a ghost sees someone from his past. Is that really you? Someone who committed murder, a crime that most of us agree is a sin. The ghost is shocked. How is it that you made it to heaven? Well, I've been stuck in that gray city all this time. He's upset that despite living a moral life, he didn't qualify for heaven. Yet this murderer did. Only because you see this the wrong way. One doesn't get to heaven simply by doing good works or not murdering anyone. After I murdered that man, I I was a mess. But someone introduced me to Christ, and I was forgiven. But the ghost could not or would not understand. You're a murderer! How dare you be here and not me! That idea, that single sin, would not leave his head. And so the ghost got back on the bus, didn't proceed to heaven, but rejected it because he could not understand how a murderer made it to heaven. A lot of the book is like this. A person is confronted with something from their past, and they just can't get beyond it. Rather than accept the simple message of the gospel, they fight, refuse, because they're hanging on to some past offense, or they don't think someone else should be there because they created their own religion around something, like maybe a child or success. Most of the ghosts get back on the bus, distracted by some fleeting thing, unwilling to let go of an obstacle and follow Jesus. There's one that I think is particularly striking for the season. An angelic creature is goaded by an intellectual ghost who refuses to see what's going on around him. You must be quite miffed. I don't see why. Now you can see that you were wrong. You believed in a literal heaven and hell. Where do you think you've been? Are you saying that that city was hell? What else could it be? (laughs) Do you really think people are judged for their honest opinions? You're in the middle of that judgment as we speak. The ghost goes on to argue that he risked everything by writing papers and books saying that the resurrection didn't happen, that the miracles of the Bible are symbolic, not literal. But his angelic friend pushes back. No, you didn't risk anything except increased popularity and book sales. Won't you go to the heavenly city and drop all of your preconceived notions about appearing intelligent and modern? The ghost refuses. He doesn't want to believe in a real God, something so static, so sure. He prefers to think of God as an essence of tolerance, something religious, a feeling, because this vids his intellectual ideas, allows him to be open to discussion and debate, not settled on one thing, and he misses out, walks away, rejects heaven because he's comfortable where he is, trading eternal glory for a spirit of inquiry of open discussion and debate, feeling like a scholar. This season has been about fundamentalism. But remember, fundamentalism was a reaction to modernism. This school of thought among the intelligentsia that the miracles of the Bible, the resurrection, virgin birth, all of that, didn't happen. Christ, in their opinion, if there was such a person, 
was a nice guy, a good teacher, and the apostles later inflated the story to make him into God. It would be a shame to end the season without first discussing a powerful reality, that many of us in this present moment are so caught up in our thing that we're missing heaven. We're distracted. And for modernists, that obstacle might be the desire to remove the miraculous. But for others, it may be that we're distracted by the state of the church. There are lots of people on Twitter who complain day and night about Christianity. People who claim to be Christians, but who demonstrate no real faith. They just attack, nitpick, and don't do anything to build it up. They may call themselves Christians, but I fear they may not have any real faith in Christ. They're letting their anger get in the way of true faith. Perhaps some of you are angry at me right at this moment. Angry that a history podcast that claims to be journalistic dips into evangelism. Well, we wouldn't be talking about Christianity if we didn't dig into these crucial beliefs. Don't let your surprise at this episode keep you from hearing the message. Christianity without faith in Christ is not Christianity. It's a distraction, one that I'd like to invite you out of. There are those of us who've been hurt by a local church or a ministry. Something bad happened and we're holding on to it, letting it define our lives. We say we're believers or that we're deconstructing the faith, but really, our faith is in the pain. We're so focused on what happened that we're unwilling to really trust in Christ or to believe that he could ever heal us. Let me give you an example. I know a guy who used to organize events in his church, men's groups, get-togethers, lunches, but he burned out. His expectation was that churches should be social circles. Everyone, not just him, should work together to plan parties and meetings. But when other people didn't organize the kinds of events he wanted, he left his church. It can be as small as that. Sometimes all it takes to keep us from marching to heaven is an irritation, an unmet expectation. Some of us are literally letting event planning keep us from Jesus. So what is your distraction? Is it seeing extremists on the news or your own busyness, a perceived slight? Maybe it's the number of mega pastors who've fallen in recent years, a public debate about what's taught in schools or who can marry who, the politics of your parents, anger at rich people, anger at poor people, that rude Christian you work with. We live in a time of outrage, it's fashionable to be angry or even afraid. We get applauded for it. Our posts get shared. We build communities of like-minded people around us who are also angry and afraid. For many of us, it's that outrage that's holding us back. Sure, yeah, those people over there may be doing Christianity wrong, but are we so focused on the failures of someone else that we forget to trust in Jesus ourselves? I find the great divorce to be convicting because it demonstrates how easily we develop idols, distractions that keep us from the gospel. Are you, dear listener, right now so filled with anger over fundamentalism that you've rejected Jesus? Or are you a modernist who can't bring themselves to admit that the Bible calls for belief and not just good works? I think it's good for all of us to contemplate the obstacles in our lives that keep us from true faith from really trusting what Jesus did for our sins, that following him is our true calling. We humans often can't see the forest for the trees. We get so stuck on one little thing that we miss the big picture. It would be a shame to walk away from the season without first contemplating our own excesses and distractions. What stands between you and a real faith in God? 
If I were to get you on my school bus and drive you up to that field where the grass doesn't bend, what would you do? Stay with the discomfort you know, or let go and do the courageous task of trusting? It's good for us to be aware of the excesses of Christianity, but if we let them become an obsession, we're missing out not only on the love of God, but also the joy of belonging to a family of believers. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. This episode referenced the book The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. It's well worth a read. Like I said, it's one of the books I read every few years. Special thanks to everyone who loaned me their voices for this episode, including Paul Hastings from The Compelled Podcast, my brother Nick Starin, my improv comedy friends Jackie Hart and Josh Griffith, and Jerry Dugan of the Beyond the Rut Podcast. Again, this is not a normal episode of Truce. I'm hard at work on the next season of the show, and God willing, I'll be releasing these bonus episodes while I work on that. If you want to hear more high-quality Christian podcasting, subscribe, rate, and review. You can also give a little bit to help me make the show. You can do that via Venmo, Patreon, PayPal, or check the website at trucepodcast.com donate. Also, feel free to reach out to me via social media or at trucepodcast at yahoo.com. And remember to go on social media and post your favorite books that you read every few years. God willing, we'll talk again soon. I'm Chris Darren, and this is Truce. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.